I feel today is going to be a good day. I don't know why. I'm feeling it. I feel today is going to be a very practical day. So brace yourselves. Fasten your seat belts. Please stow away the uh, folding table in front of you. Hmm? Like they say on the flight, isn't they? And in the event of any turbulence, ladies and gentlemen, I shall remind you that the oxygen masks will drop from overhead. Please make sure you put on your mask before you help others. Sometimes on the path of Dhamma, people forget to do that. They try to put other people's masks on before they put their, put their own on. Okay then, let's begin. Let's all take a moment to pay homage to the most magnificent one, the supremely enlightened one, the perfect one, he who is beyond comparison, he whose mercy knows no bounds, he whose compassion is limitless. We speak of none other than the Supreme Buddha, our teacher, our guide, our father, to guide us, to lead us, to the eternal bliss of Nibbana. Namo tassa bhagavato arhato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arhato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arhato samma sambuddhassa so you know that was us paying homage and some of you will know that was you taking a pledge. Yes? Yes. Good. I'm just reminding you why we are here. It's always important for us to remind ourselves why we are here. So on the way down from the Kuti a thought occurred to me and I was speaking with the two young Anagarika Mahatyas who came to fetch me. I feel the reason that people struggle to understand the things that we try so hard to explain to them is really from one angle not their fault. It is because of the, what I like to think, the immersion factor. You know what an immersion heater is? Are you old enough to know what an immersion heater is? Hmm? Buddha, do you know what an immersion heater is? No. You're too young for that. Put your hand up if you know what an immersion heater is. Ah, that's right. My generation. So it was uh, an immersion heater is, for those of you who don't know what an immersion heater is, this is a jug into which you put generally water or any liquid. So you want to heat some water up, okay? So they used to have a thing called an immersion heater which looked something like this. 
Remember? So there used to be a coil inside this. It had a cord and go to the mains. Yeah? Seen that? Okay. Where? In the museum. <laughs> so what they used to do with these things was what? So it has a little hook like that, which you can use to uh, rest it on the, uh, on, the, on the brim of this. So you would immerse this. So this would go right inside the water. So it would be something like that. They used to call them immersion heaters. Normally this was what color? Red, yes. Very good. So you know what I'm talking about. Red is a color for danger. I'm just saying. <laughs> Red is a color for danger. I was reminding you, you're playing with the dangerous things. So anyhow, the immersion heater you would use to immerse it in this water and then switch on the plug and then after a while the water would heat up and you have your hot water. Yeah. So once in the immersion heater, this coil knows nothing other than the water because it's immersed in it. So I would say this has an immersion factor of 100 when it's entirely immersed in the water. So it knows nothing other than water. Now, I'm talking about this just so you know what this concept of immersion is. I feel that the reason that most people struggle to understand some of these concepts and to really get a grasp of what I'm trying to explain. You know, I talk about suffering. We talk about suffering. You talk about suffering. I'm sure you'll have tried with your friends, your mates, your friends, your family. And you try to explain to them that there is something more than just a mere existence that we need to be concerned and focused about. You know, there's something more that we need to achieve in life rather than just eating, sleeping, drinking and you not doing what. So there's something more to life than that. And they may sit down and listen to you for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, maybe while you wait for the bus, maybe when you're on the lift, or in a lift, or maybe, you know, when you're, you're, you've just taken a break to have a cup of tea with your colleagues sat next to you, while you're waiting for that email, and you try and explain to them, and they'll go, yeah, 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 I understand, yeah, oh, that's, that's wonderful, wow, Buddhism is just, wow, I also want to be, you know, I also want to be ordained. Generally, that's where people start. If I had, if I was given a dollar hmm, for every time someone came up to me and said, Swaminan said, you know, in my life I also wanted to ordain and one day I will. And then sometimes they go away and you never see them again. But if I had a dollar for every time people came up to me and said that, by now I'd be a very rich man. But as you can see, I'm poorer than poor. Not a dime to my name. And it's still been like that five years on from when I first came here. So they don't give me dollars for that. 
Otherwise, the country would go bankrupt. But the fact of the matter is, folks, I, 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 you know, there was a time when I, I, I kept wondering, why don't people get this? I mean, people, are people so thick? No, but that's not the truth. You can't really fault someone for the environment that they're in. Environment is everything. You know, I, I chant this like a mantra. Environment literally is everything, folks. I'm talking to you about this because I want you to be aware of this and make sure that you're in the environment of your choosing. Make sure that you're in the right environment. As I relate these ideas, I want you to dip yourself into your lives and ask yourself the question, am I in the right environment? And there are various aspects in which the environment will be significant, will be important. So, for instance, if you want to progress in your career, if you want to progress in your career, perhaps this is not the right environment to be in. Because here I don't talk about career progression. I don't talk about, you know, how to upskill yourselves, become a good presenter, or maybe how to negotiate. We don't talk about that here. So for that, the environment will be a different place. If you want to have fun, in the conventional sense of the word fun, you want to have fun, then again, this may not be the right place to be. I mean in the conventional sense of the word fun. But if you really want to have fun, I can't think of any better place to be. And if you really want to be, if you're really interested in career progression, again, I can't think of any better place to be. But, you know, now I'm talking about an entirely different dimension. Like black and white are the opposites of each other. Okay? So the thing is, the environment in which you find yourselves is crucial. I can't stress this enough simply because it is not you or someone else who determines your fate. It is not you. There is no actor here. It is simply the result of the environment. Ultimately, it's like, if you've done any physics, maths, and so on, which I'm sure most of you will have done, I, we, we learn resultant forces. Yeah, we learn resultant forces. So when f- multiple forces are acting on a single object, so for instance, let's say there's an object, and there's a force acting in this direction, there's a force acting in that direction, right? What will you see happen to this object? Where is it going to move? Usually in this direction, right? If these forces are equal, then it will move in this direction. But do you see a force acting in this direction? No. You can resolve these forces. That's how you work out the sum and how, how come, how, and you work out how much force is actually acting in this direction. But the fact is, just looking at it, you know, you, can't, you just can't work out how come it's moving in this direction. No one's pulling it in that direction. But that is the resultant force, an invisible force. Physicists in the room, am I right? Yeah, mathematicians. You have some Anagarika Mahathas who have been physics teachers, maths teachers for longer than they've been alive. They're very fortunate. You know, in this place, in this monastery, we have everything under the sun you can hope for. Because we have some wonderful people. They bring various talents and skills and lots of knowledge experience into this one place, into this one home. 
So we use that knowledge, experience, everything to enrich the lives of so many people. And one day you will also be here. You are here already, but you will be here even more here. Right? And now some quite a few of you have offered to share with us your knowledge in languages, your skill in languages, to, to support us with this endeavor to spread the Buddha's Dhamma throughout the world. Can't, I can't say how grateful I am. And I'm doing my part. Last week I, or yesterday I started learning Hindi. Thank you. And uh, Guru Hamdro has advised me to start learning Spanish. So that will start in the, in the course of the uh, next couple of weeks or so. Um, and hopefully you're all learning some language, especially the younger ones. Right? I need you to be doing that. Right? Whether you come here for good or for not good, right? you, I still want you to learn a language. Right? Because one day it will really come handy. So anyhow, going back to this. There's an invisible force acting on this object. You can't see it, but it's there, isn't there? In much the same way, folks, there's always an invisible force acting on all of you. That is the resultant force of all of the forces that are acting on you. This is why the people you associate are very, very important. This immersion heater... I use as an example to explain this concept of immersion. So I believe, I believe that the reason that people struggle to understand these concepts is because of the immersion factor. Here, we are immersed in this environment. Now, you are a hybrid kind of species. Hmm? You're a hybrid species. Kind of neither here nor there, but more here than there. On, some, on a good day, right? sometimes more there than here uh, on a bad day. Sometimes not sure where you are on one of those days. Uh, right? There will be times when you, you know, maybe your, your family, your friends will be acting strongly, uh, pulling you in the other direction. They might ask you, that's why, you know, this is I speak from personal experience. Right? I've, I've, I've spoken to so many people like yourselves in my short period of having been a monk. And, and I really want to share this with you because I know there are those among you who really want to experience this and really get this. Okay? And you want to commit a part of your life, if not all of it, at least a part of your life towards this cause. There's a right pace that we should all take this. Once you're here, even when you're here, there's a pace. There's, a, there's an optimum speed. There's an optimum pace. Even when someone comes here as an Anagarika Mahatya, right? we don't throw everything at him on the first day. Right? So only recently we took a, a new batch of young Anagarika Mahatyas, so Anagarika Patiyas, we call them Mahatyas, not Mahatyas yet, Anagarika Cubs. Hmm? So when they, when they first came, <coughs> um, you know, we, 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 we make sure that they are well-fed. Hmm? They, they feel that they're at home. They feel they're comfortable. Right? And, you know, say someone comes and asks, 
I'm hungry. If they say I'm hungry, say and it's it's after twelve. Right? We don't say, How dare you? Get out and never come back. We don't do that. Because there's a there's a pace at which we need to do this. You know, discipline for monks is one thing. But the discipline or you know, this is more of a practice, a virtue that need, you need to instill within yourself. So there's, there's a pace. Now, the reason I'm saying this is even after they become a monk, there's still a right pace. This is why a teacher is so important. A teacher who always gauges how, 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 how ready, how prepared are you to take that next step? How much can I push you? Now, a good teacher will always push you, but not to the point of breaking. To the point of extending I imagine an elastic band or a rubber band. You can keep tugging on it. If you do it too hard, too fast, then it's going to snap. But if you keep tugging on it, just ever so slightly, right, on an elastic band, over, over time, you can actually extend it. You can make it longer. Or at least it will apparently seem longer. But all of that potential was always there in it, wasn't it? It's not like you added new material to it. It was always there. The potential was always there. So the teacher's objective, the teacher's goal is to get that potential out of that person. But pace is very, very important. Now I know there are some of you who want to apply yourselves and make this your life. Okay? But take it at the right pace. When it feels uncomfortable, then maybe you're going faster than you can handle. When it seems out of control, when things start falling apart around you, when it starts affecting, affecting relationships in adverse ways, right? then you will realize, okay, maybe I'm going a bit too fast. There's a right pace, there's a right place, there's a right time, there's a right, you know, this is the noble late fall path. It's all right, right? Right view, right... <laughs> That's <laughs> so the way it goes. So there's a right pace for all this. But at the same time, the truth is, and I completely agree, the truth is the immersion factor has a huge part to play here. If, on, if you only come here, you know, once a month, I can only douse you in the Dhamma once a month. The truth is, once you go back home, you're going to be surrounded on the way home, not even back home, on the way home. If you stop by, by the shop, I to get yourself a quick refreshment on the way home and you just want a cup of tea and maybe a bun, they'll also ask you, would you like something else with that? Hmm? We've got this new uh, confection, we've got this new cake, there's, there's a new biscuit, there's an, you, know, you know, there'll be all the adverts and the signs and the slogans and all that constantly feeding you. So, you know, this mind is like a mirror. The mind is like a mirror. It is simply a reflection of all of the things that are shown in it at any given time. What do I mean by that? Say for instance, right, you have a mirror, this is a mirror, and you're standing in front of the mirror, so of course you see your reflection. If this is how you see yourself, then you've been starving. Right? Then someone else comes and stands behind you. Okay? Say mother comes. 
Father comes. Little brother comes. Sister comes. Hmm? Puppy comes. That's the best I can draw. Puppy. So now they're all standing in front of the mirror. Right? This image, this image of all of them together, that doesn't really exist in this world. What you're seeing in the mirror, that does not exist in this world. This is a reflection. This is the resultant. Now they're all standing in front of the mirror. Yes. Okay, they're all standing in front of the mirror. But what you see in the mirror, that does not exist in this world. It is a reflection of everything that's going on opposite or in front of the mirror. This is a reflection. So this is why you only see half of your dad. Have you seen half a dad? Or half a sister? No. But in the mirror, what you are seeing is the resultant. In the same way, folks, the way your mind is at any given time is the resultant of all of the factors affecting it. All of the exposure, all of the experience, all of the forces acting on it at any given time. So, who you are right now, you know, they say what you are is what you eat. True. Not just through this mouth, but also through your mind. You are what you eat. What you are right now, how you feel right now, how you interact with the outside right now, how you sense the world right now is simply a product of all of the things that you have eaten, that you have consumed. These are all the factors that are working on you right now. You know, think about those days when you go and observe Sil, like the eight precepts, or maybe, let's take the eight precepts. If you remember the first time you, you, you went through that experience, maybe at school, right? maybe at the temple, right? don't you feel on a day when you've observed the precepts that you are so virtuous? Hmm? Don't you feel like that? That Don't you feel a saint? Hmm? Like after you come... I remember. I'm talking from personal experience. You, I remember the first day we observed the, the sale at, at school. It was at school. And I was, uh, we, uh, we were asked to come in all white, like you are right now with the national kid. And then the Swami Nuhansi, a monk, came to the school. He precepted us. And, you know, I had this, this piece of cloth that goes across my shoulder across my uh, chest and at the end of that I felt so virtuous I felt like I was floating I felt that there was no one better than I I felt I was so good I, was, I felt I was worthy of worship, I was worthy of being offered food for free right? and I felt that I was such a better human being than I was coming into school that morning. But all I had done was observe the precepts and half of them I didn't even understand what I was being precepted. But that is how you feel because at that moment in time, that is the resultant of all the forces acting on you. But say when you're out and with your friends, okay, maybe you're at the pub, do you feel virtuous then? You don't. Maybe when you're play out playing football, right, or playing sport with your friends, at that time you don't feel virtuous. You feel athletic, you feel sporty, you feel adventurous, 
Right? These are some of the things that you, you would feel at that time. Very different person, is it not, from the person who observed the precepts at, at school or at the temple? Very different person, is it not, from the person who was at the pub? When you go to work, right? when you go into work and you've sat down in front of your computer, all those files stacked up on your, on your desk and you look at that, you look at this, and you go, okay, um, right, let's just roll our sleeves up and get to work. Right? At that time, you are a completely different being, different mindset, different mentality, so much so that you, you, you might even feel that you are a, an entirely different organism to the one you found in the pub, to the one that was on the playground, to the one that was at the temple. Very different. How about when you are with a loved one? Hmm? When you are cuddling up to them, when you are feeling lovey-lovey with them, hmm? how do you feel then? Very different. All because the resultant force is always changing. These factors are... Oh, gone. There are multiple factors, multiple forces always acting on, an, on a given object, and that given object is your mind. And what you experience is the, is the resultant force. Therefore, immersion has a huge part to play. When you are here, I can immerse you in the Dhamma. And not just myself, the environment here, the Buddha statue there, the flowers, you know, the, the, the carpets, right? This, everything, this all contributes towards that. But, let's be honest. After you've spent your two hours here, after you've spent the time you have at the monastery, now you have to go back home. When you head back home, different environment. On the way back home, different environment. When you're with your friends, different environment. When you go and sit in front of the TV, different environment. When you switch on the internet, a very different environment. Pick up your phone, go through your WhatsApp messages, different environment. Now you're immersed in something completely different. Answer me honestly. How many people in your life talk to you about your salvation? Talk to you about Nibbana? Talk to you about freeing yourself from the real kind of suffering? How many people? Hardly any. That is the truth. This is why I'm here. The reason I came here, the main reason I got here was because I wanted to immerse myself in the Dhamma. Because which environment, whichever environment you immerse yourself in, you become like that environment. That's what happens. That's why I'm always going on about the five people you associate are very, very important. Because they have a really strong influence on who you are and how you act. And ultimately, what eventually happens to you. So this is so important. Something you, parents should always do with their children. Get them sat down and ask them, you know, who do you spend the most, most of your time with? Yeah? If, if you don't like how your kid's behaving... If you don't like the things that your, your child's saying after he, you know, when, you, when he comes back from home from school, if you don't like the things he's doing, the, things, the way he's behaving, the fact that he's spending far too much time on the computer, just take a quick check as to who the five, the five people who, are, who he associates most with, and there you'll find the answer to that. This is really important stuff. Sounds really simple, but this is the truth. Sometimes profoundness is to be found in simplicity. This is the truth. So, immersion factor is so important. So now you have to ask the question, well, Swaminas, what can we do? You're talking to us about immersion. You're talking to us about this place and how you should be in the Dhamma. But we have to, you know, go home. You won't let us stay here, will you? So what, what, do you, what are you going on about? How is this practical? What are you really asking us to do? 
What I'm asking you to do is do more than what you're doing right now. How so? Did I tell you last week or the week before that I went and spoke with my teacher and I asked him, am I doing enough? Yeah. And I said, uh, so I, I asked him and then as much as I tell you, you know, it's okay, you know, just go at it at our own pace and so on. Even I have my insecurities, right? So I went and spoke with him. Well, guess what? I went and asked him again yesterday. I was not due for another six months or so, but I went and asked him again yesterday. I said, are you sure, you know, Guru you sure I'm doing enough? Is this, is this really enough? Do I need to be doing more? Right? And, and, and then he said, you know, he said this, he said, I really like the fact that you're always on your toes about it. You're always conscious about this. And you're always asking yourself the question, am I doing enough? He said he really appreciates that about me. Because it's only if we keep asking ourselves, am I doing enough every day, will we eventually find other, other spots, weak spots, other places, other opportunities for us to continue doing that. So, for example, let, let me give you a simple example. Let's say, remember we did started this 15 minutes a day meditation? Hmm? Remember? Long, long, long time ago in Bethlehem. Huh? So, there may be some among you who still do your 15 minutes. There may be some among you who've turned it up to maybe half an hour, maybe one and a half hours. There may be some among you who started out doing the 15 minutes, but you know something happened and then it just all collapsed. And then since then, it hasn't happened. There's not been a drive to ignite you, to, to get you back on track again. This happens. Honestly, this happens. Ask yourself. If you are one of those people who've been doing your 15 minutes regularly, by this point, you may have begun to realize that actually there's another five minutes here and there that you can find. Another ten minutes you can you can find here and there. Now that you've found that, there will be some among you who will have, and then you will have expanded your your practice. You will have grown your practice to incorporate another five or ten minutes into that. But there will be some who's to still does their fifteen minutes, but they've not asked themselves the question Am I doing enough? And therefore, perhaps religiously you've been doing your 15 minutes, but actually if you think about it, maybe you could do more. In this place, we keep pushing each other. This is why I'm talking about the immersion factor and the resultant force. At this place, in this place, we keep pushing ourselves. We keep pushing each other. What, off a cliff? No. We keep pushing each other on this path. There's never a moment to relax. We don't rest on our laurels. We have to keep on practicing. We have to keep doing more. Every day our teachers ask us, are you doing enough? Should you be doing this more? Should you, should you be doing more of that, more of this, and so on? So please, I ask of you, all of you, do more. Now, it might even come across as a very unreasonable request. So I'm going to answer, what are you talking about? Right? I'm just about managing my relationships at home, right? And if I even... You know, did a little bit more, 
Perhaps my entire family is going to fall apart. And didn't you yourself a few minutes ago say, you have to take it at the right pace? What are you talking about? Do more. Here's the thing. This is a balance. It's really important to strike that balance. On the one hand, I'll be saying, take it at the right pace. Right? And I'll, say, I'll be saying that in the morning. The same person will come in the evening and say, do more. Do more. And then again, the following morning, I'll say, uh-huh. Slow down, take it at the right pace. And then again in the evening I'll come and go, do more. You're not doing enough. Just keep on, do more, do more. This is the thing. You'll always find me saying both these things. Because it is the nature of it. There'll be some among you. Remember, you know, I'm not talking to any one individual here, right? I'm talking here to a group of people and there are several more watching this online. So I'm talking to all of you. You ask yourself the question, this is a very personal question you should ask yourselves, am I doing enough? If you feel you're doing enough, then good. If you feel you're not doing enough, then do a little bit more. But who knows the answer to this question? Only you yourself knows the answer to this question. Please make sure you immerse yourself, you dip this, it's gone now, take this back out. Please make sure you dip your immersion heater you dip your immersion heater as far deep into this as possible. If this is all you can go, then this is all you can go. If you can go further, then go further. If you can't go that far, And this is all this is as further as, as far as you can go, then this is as far as you can go. But do make sure that you have dipped this immersion heater, that you have dipped this into your life as much and as far as you possibly can. Here we always keep pushing. Our teachers will always keep pushing. There's never a moment to relax. Guru Hamdra always tells us. You can only relax after you have attained Paranibbana. Oh, thank you. <laughs> we tell him. That's the only time we can relax. Because even after you become an Arahant, how do you know if, you have, if you're not... How, how do you know for sure? You know, there will be times when you feel like, like I said, you, know, you feel more virtuous than you really are on the day that you observe precepts. I said, just because you don't get angry, just because you don't have lustful thoughts, just because you don't feel ego, egoistic, you know, that, that cannot necessarily say, it can, can be evidence that you have attained arahatud. Because if there are no triggers from the outside environment, then you could be tricked, you could be fooled. That's one danger we have in this place. One risk we have, that is, we are short of triggers. Hmm? In this place, we lack that to a certain extent. Because we don't have people who come and shout at us. We don't have people who come and defame us or, or come and you know, uh, slander us. We, 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 we generally, generally speaking, we have people who come and sing praises and say, Oh, Swami Nuhansa, you are the best Swami Nuhansa. We've never seen anyone like you, Swami Nuhansa. Right? Now, that helps for us to check whether ego is doing something, but again, you, know, you can fool yourself and think, well, you know, they are... You know, they are actually you know, saying this about the Buddha, about the Dhamma, about the Sangha. They're not really talking about me, but, you know, I'm a good person and so on and so on. Got to be very careful. But, you know, if you were in the outside world, 
as you take a bus, you know, and you see what's going on around you. There are, you know, good-looking people. There are ugly-looking people. You know, both kinds of people, and you know, they can pull you, tug you, tag at you at you know one way or the other, and you can you can constantly check yourself. But in this environment, one downside we have is the shortage of triggers, especially from the adversity perspective. But that you get plenty of out there. We don't, we don't watch television to see how television affects us. We don't do that. We don't read the newspapers to see how that affects us. We don't spend our day on the internet trying to see how that, how that affects us. But that's, that is what you have as a positive on your side. But this immersion... We have plenty of that here. So it's a, it's, a, it's a fine balance. And it's important that we all strike that. Because in the, in the same way that you ask me, well, Swaminan, so what, what more can I do? I could ask you the question, well, how do I check myself? And you will tell me, well, what can you do, Swaminan? So if you come home with me, then you, know, you can see lots of things going on outside and maybe check yourself how that affects you. But unfortunately, that is not an answer. Right? So find the right balance. But always keep telling yourself, am I doing enough? Ask yourself, am I doing enough? And just keep, you know, keep pushing yourself just a little bit more. Always, just a little bit more. Okay? And then, there'll come a point where it becomes really uncomfortable, but don't go beyond that. As I say in, uh, in medicine, when they, when, you know, I've seen some people when they, if they break a bone or, you know, if they've sprinted something, you know, usually I've seen people who say, you know, just, just, you know, just walk through it. Like if, if it hurts you, just keep on doing it and after a while you'll get used to it. But apparently good medical advice is don't do it. If, it, if it's painful, then you stop there. Right? You, you shouldn't push yourself beyond a certain point. So in the same way, right, in our, in our practice as well, you should only go as far as you can go and not any further until you are able to go further. So this is really important advice and I, I want you all to take that on board. In, and this is given in the, in the sense of you know, friendly advice, so please do take it in that way and, and find the right pace at which you, need, you all should operate. I've brought something here with me, you can see this. We're going to play today. I'm, you know, going back to my childhood. How old am I, eh? You all played with these things? Yeah. Building blocks. I gave you a demonstration in one of the Singhala sermons a while back. But I've never, I think, brought this here to talk to you about this. So I want to use this to explain something to you.
be nice to me and tell me what you think this is. I said, be nice to me. What do you see? Oh, which one is which? Which one is which? So you say it's a man and a woman. Which one's the man, which one's the woman? Why is it man? So this is the man. So this is the woman. You think the green head is the man? Why do you think that? <coughs> no, it's the other one, huh? Okay. <coughs> So, either way, you see a man and a woman. Okay? This is, let's say this is the man, this is the woman. So, we identify this as one person, this is the other person. This is the head, neck, arms, chest, body, the legs, right, and so on. And you have a similar construct here. If I were to do this, I heard that. Hmm? Ouch. Hmm? Do you feel this is incomplete now? Because it's missing a leg. And can that hurt you slightly? I do that. Hmm? Because here you have a man. Here you have a woman and the same here, so let's say I do see? Shocking, isn't it, madam? I think she cursed at me there. <laughs> Huh? There goes the arm. Okay? So, now whose arm is this? The woman's, right? Okay? Let's put the woman's arm to a side. 
This is the man's leg. Put that to a side. I feel like I want to do this instead. I take this arm and replace it with this man's, like that. Okay? And then I take his leg, replace it with her leg, and take her leg and put it where his leg was. And his arm with her arm. Now, don't you genuinely feel that I have actually swapped their arms and legs? That even as you look at these two figures, right? Now you feel that I have taken this leg and put it there, taken his arm and swapped with her arm, right? And you feel that I have actually amputated limbs and then I have swapped them around, swapped them all with, with each other, okay? So now she is carrying his arm, she is carrying his leg, and he is carrying her arm, and he is carrying her leg. We've given ownership to parts of this body. So we say that this is a part of this body, how come it's now here? It, it almost feels uncomfortable just watching, just looking at this. Because isn't there a voice in the back of your head going, no, that's not his, that's hers. Isn't there a voice in the back of your head going, that's not his arm, that's her arm. Why did you do that? Give them back. So in fact, so much so that now if I take it back and put it back in its rightful place, you feel like you can breathe a sigh of relief. You can't stop yourself from feeling that way. It is so natural. You feel that way. But the truth is, if that was how I presented them to you, right at the beginning, now you would have no qualms with that. If that was how I presented it to you, right at the start, you would have been perfectly fine with that. And then, if I had swapped them around, you would still have felt the same way that you do right now. This is because... I'm talking about this idea of separation. Okay? This is because we feel that there is a person here, an individual here, and everything that goes into making this part of that individual. So this is part, the, all these things are part of what makes that individual. They all belong to this being. You can't stop yourself from feeling that way. This is why growing up we watched cartoons right? and when they want to give us this feeling that let's say you know, if it was a, a, you know, a cartoon film or something to, to, to prevent cutting down trees deforestation what they'll generally do is they'll draw trees and then what else will they draw on them? Yes they'll draw faces on them. Yes, they'll draw faces on them and then as the, as the, the woodchopper 
takes or the the, the the takes a a saw or a chainsaw up to the tree then the the tree starts to cry and the tree the tree the, the tree starts to 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 moan and say please please don't do this to me and they they try to give you this impression that you're actually hurting a sentient being being because it is only a sentient being that you can hurt now this is an issue that we have i'm trying to show you this this idea of separation and how it you know we are so engrossed in this so i'm trying to help you un, unravel this 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 situation that we found ourselves in when you look at this you feel that this is an entity this arrangement helps you with that that's why i had to construct it carefully in the shape of what you generally know and accept as a sentient being which is a human being so if i had this in a really odd arrangement it would have not had the same effect for instance if i just did this say so if i just did that i and then did that that doesn't affect you the same way when i do this yes or no yeah because when you see this when you see this it you perceive something that does not exist here in much the same way that when you see the this in its flesh and bones uh, what are the different names that you give packages that come like this but in flesh and bone hmm seva yeah human beings and then you give them names right you tell them this is my grandmother this is my father this is my mother this is my son my daughter my best friend and so on you give them these names these are names that you assign to packages that come in similar arrangement but only difference is flesh and bone blood flesh and bones right you don't feel that if you did something to this but after all it's all the same stuff it's all the same stuff but why does one affect you more than the other why does one affect you in a differently to the other this is what i'm talking about when i say in our minds we perceive things that are not actually present in the outside world because the mind is that the mind is designed to perceive all sorts of things they don't necessarily have to be the truth they don't have to be where do lies exist hmm? where do lies exist where do where does falsehood exist <clears throat> only in the mind only in the mind you know when someone says he lied to me can anyone say it lied to me would this ever lie to you would this ever share with you something that is not true no because it's only a mind that is capable of bearing a falsehood why because a mind can perceive and perception doesn't necessarily have to always be the truth it can be absolutely anything this is the reason that when you look at this you perceive something that does not exist here 
that's why when you were younger you know when you were given a, a you know a, a set of building blocks right just go back to your childhood for a second when you were in, in your childhood and you were given a block of building blocks a set of building blocks you'll remember that you couldn't help yourself from building something like this it just happened so naturally children like to play with dolls right Be- because these things give them the impression that there's someone there with them doesn't it young children like to play with dolls because it gives them an impression that there is someone there with them they long for that companionship so having a doll in their presence having a brick man in their presence gives them the impression that there is someone with them but is there no but this helps how does this help because this configuration remember that word this configuration of stuff this configuration of stuff ignites a feeling inside in the mind that there is a sentient being out here and once you have someone out there i'm also here there's someone with me now i'm not alone one of the biggest ailments the mind has is this this feeling of loneliness it can send people crazy can people can send people insane think about a time when you felt lonely how uncomfortable that feeling was sometimes you might have been prepared to actually you know uh, swap an arm or a leg if that was the price you had to pay to get yourself out of loneliness for some companionship people can go crazy people can go insane i know this personally because i've i've been with people like that i used to work in a care home an elderly care home it was it was actually more of a hospice people come there to spend the last few years of their life and most of them have dementia most of them have had they had cancers they had fatal conditions and you know it was a point in which their their family members had you know they were no longer anything of value or anyone of value to their family members so they were just you know put away discarded absolutely because there was nothing else to 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 be taken from them right their best years had gone by and now there was there were just you know something that was just they had to look after because you know until they're alive you have to do something so they paid for them to be put in the in the care home and after that just wait for them to die so i've been with people like that and i know having spoken with them that what affects them most is not food watching tv or anything like that it's really that feeling of loneliness it completely destroys them from the inside and if you go and ask them what would you like frank what would you like emily every single time you ask them they'll tell you can i please see some 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 of my family can you please ask my family to come by can you please ask my daughter to come by and see me and if no one's around then please can you switch on the television because in on television what do you see again people because when people are around you get to see people that gives you the impression that there's someone with you someone who feels the same way you do that's why most people watch tv it's not really be, it's not simply because they like they like sights but actually they like you know they like to have that feeling of companionship 
Right? Friends are an important part of life, not only because they help us to live, but also because they help us to fight that feeling of loneliness. This feeling of loneliness comes about when you feel that you are an entity on the inside, you are an individual, and that individual needs to have a companion. This is why whenever you see something that resembles someone or something that you can identify as an, as an entity, as a sentient being, the mind immediately grasps onto that. In fact, look at this for a second. If I take this foot off, or this leg off, right, and I put it there, okay, and I take another one out of the bag, and I put it there, don't you still feel that one is special? You, you still feel that this is the leg that came from this one then this is just, just another brick. This is just another brick, but this is the leg that came from this. In fact, if I asked you, right, can you, can you complete this again? Right? If I tell you, can you complete this again, which one would you go for? The black one. Now, you can fight your instinct, of course, you can do that. Okay? So I'm not saying this is a scientific test. <clears throat> you can fight your instinct and you can still go for the other one. But what I'm saying is, instinctively, you are inclined to pick this one up. And that's not just because this is also black, so you need to have matching shoes on. That's not why. It's because you feel that this was the leg that came from this guy. See how you have elevated a simple building block to something that belongs to a sentient being? This happens very naturally. Because inside of us, we feel this feeling of jati, this sense of self. This sense of self is natural, but it's an ailment. Because the truth is, these are simply building blocks. If you were to study the constitution of any of your arms, legs, and so on, you will know that they are made of the same stuff that the entire world is made out of. Carbons, hydrogens, oxygen, nitrogen, and so on. Right now, this is a configuration of the elements that make up this world. This is simply a configuration. This configuration is in, is in, a, is in a state of ever-changing. It's, it's in a state of constant change. It's always changing. This is why this came out of this bag. And last time I used this, I use this to make something else, maybe a castle. And today I use this to put on this guy and say that this is its leg. But the moment I put it there, now you can't help yourself from feeling that this is part of this sentient being. This belongs to this sentient being. Why this happens is because of this phenomenon of separation. Here, you feel, is a separate entity to this. I'm only using, you know, these building blocks here because I can't bring two people up to the stage and, you know, do the same, do the same thing here because they're not as versatile. Right? So, I can quite easily and simply, I want you to think, you know, you can, you can substitute these things to maybe two people that you know. 
Maybe yourself and a friend. Maybe to your two children, if you have children. Right? Substitute them. If your son's arm was taken out and swapped it with your daughter's, and your daughter's leg onto your son's, you know, are you, would you be okay with that? Would you, would, you, would you still feel, oh, that's my son's arm, why is it on my daughter? You wouldn't be able to stop yourself from feeling that way. You feel that way because inside there's the furnace that's still alive, that, that constantly keeps telling you, no, they're separate, they're separate, they're separate, they're separate, they're completely separate and sentient beings. We need to identify this feeling. And then do something about it because this is a problem. Why is it a problem? Well, you've seen why it's a problem. You know, it's okay. Oh, sorry. It's okay right now because you know this is just a toy. But if this were a real thing, right? Doing that, you wouldn't allow me to do it in front of young children. <laughs> You'd say, Swami, that's R rated. You can't do that in front of people. It's shocking. It's horror. Huh? If, you want, if you go on certain websites, they'll block it. You have to click on a button before they, or you have to sign in to show that you are over 18 before they watch you see something. Say, they allow you see something. Say, they, say, they say it's gore. You're not allowed to see things like this. But you see, here I can just do it. That's okay. But in the real world, if that were to happen, it's not only because of the pain that is endured by this, this physical being, but because you feel that this is part of an entity. This package, it comes as a separate package, separate from everything else. Why does this happen? As I said earlier, your mind is a mirror. Your mind is a mirror of all of the knowledge, of all of the information that you hold, and you project that onto this. That is why the moment you see this, you think you're looking at a sentient being. And it hurts you when I do that. I know, you know, you're not going to cry and say, oh my God, how unfair. I don't mean that, but you still feel that it's not right to have done that. And you see, for instance, if you were to see something like this, lying on a, lying on a table somewhere, and one of these pieces, right, lying alongside that, what would you normally be inclined to do? And you walk past it. What would you normally do? You know, like when you see a, a pen with its clip off, what would you normally do? Put it back on. If you were to see this on a table, and this lying alongside that, what would you be inclined to do? Put it back? Yeah, because then if, oh, okay, now it's complete. Poor thing, huh? needs his leg. You are inclined to do this because, you know, this is the package that you have separated. If you see a man without an arm, you think he's incomplete. If you see a man without a leg, you'll think, you feel it's incomplete. Because you have a picture of this complete, separate entity and this is what it needs to look like. This is not simply knowledge. Of course, a doctor knows, you know, one leg missing, one arm missing, you know, that is a, a defect. It's a handicap. Yes, the doctor knows this. But it's not simply the knowledge I'm talking about here. There's a problem that we have with these various configurations. We feel that a separate configuration has its own construct. And that has to be there in the way that you present it out into the world. Now, I know when I say these things, for some of you this will sound like Greek. Again, I have to go back to the immersion factor. But bear with me. Please don't fear. Don't, don't run away. Okay? Bear with me. This will all start to make sense. I'm, I'm trying to 
break down these concepts into into simple language by using you know toys that I used to used to play with to try and explain this concept to you. This idea of separation, this feeling of separation, is one that we should tackle. Last week I talked to you about how something that happened yesterday hurt you today. Yeah, we talked about it. And I asked you to think of a few more examples as homework. I don't know if any of you had any time to, to reflect on that. The thing is, you know, the problem is there all the time. What I'm saying is I don't know if you had any time to, to put some medicine on it. <laughs> but the problem's there all the time nonetheless, right? <clears throat> It is because this idea of separation, or this, this feeling of that you are a separate entity, takes place inside, that you have to face this problem. Now, remember, I talked to you about the various people we have in our families, and how we form those bonds with them. So we said this was the universal set. In here you have, see if you can start to think of them as just configurations of stuff. What kind of stuff? You can think if you like in terms of, you know, elements, carbons, hydrogens, oxygens, nitrogens and the periodic table. Right? These bodies that you are, are simply configurations of of stuff. It is just chemistry, isn't it? You are simply chemistry. This body is simply chemistry. That's why you can change the chemistry by putting other chemicals through your body. Right? A pill down this way can change parts of you. That is because it's just chemistry. Yeah. Why is that? Yeah, because of the sense of self. <clears throat> That's right. So, this, these are... Now, I'm talking in very technical terms. These are configurations <clears throat> of stuff. Let's see how that evolves and elevates into people that you identify as my aunt, my nephew, my niece, my brother, my, my sister and so on. These are simply configurations of stuff, just like these things here. This is, these are just configurations. Can I not take these part, bits apart and, and, and make something, you know, something that you would not feel that way about? So for instance, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dismantle this. Ouch, 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 that hurts, doesn't it? That hurts, that, that really hurts. Oh, not, 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 they're, not, they're not the heart. <laughs> that hurts. Right? So I've taken this off, right? Dismantled the whole thing. Right? And now I'm going to put it back together again. Hmm? Hmm? That might be, let's say, a fortress. So, now, where's the, where's the guy that was there earlier? What's happened to him? Where's he gone? Did he go somewhere? When I started taking him apart, did he go somewhere? Did you see him leave the room? Hmm? 
No. So what's this then? Is this is this him? No, it's a simple change in change in configuration. Now hear me out. I want you all to observe one thing in this room, whatever you're choosing. That could be a part of your body, maybe your hand, maybe the ceiling, maybe a cushion, something. Just focus on one thing in this room. See if you can read it. What's the word I'm saying? Read it, or rather interpret it. As a configuration of stuff, it's simply the present configuration. See if you can do that for a second. It's just stuff configured in a certain way in the present moment. That configuration is viable to change. That configuration can be changed at any given moment. Provided you, 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 you provide the system with enough energy, that configuration can change. Because for change to happen, there needs to be what? Energy. Energy is what triggers change. Okay? So, take out all the energy in the cosmos. Right? And now you simply have stuff. You simply have stuff. Now, the stuff itself is also part of energy, so leave that to a side for a second. Okay? Let's imagine there is stuff and there is energy. Let's just take out all the energy before we go to the next level, let's just take out all the energy. Now, all that's left is stuff. And you wouldn't be able to distinguish the stuff that, is, that, that goes into the composition of one thing to stuff that goes into the composition of another thing. Because it's just stuff. I'm trying to explain to you the concept of anatta. See, the Buddha, in his description of the truth, he speaks of anicca, dukkha and anatta. These words have such profound meaning. Whatever you understand anicca, dukkha and anatta being, it's a lot more than that. I can simply say that. And the same applies here as well. Whatever I understand anicca, dukkha and anatta is, it's a lot more than that. It's that and then some. It's a lot more than that. Whatever the great elder Sariputta Thera understands as Anichidukya and Ananta, it's a lot more than that. Only the Buddha completely and its entire and its in its entirety comprehends Anichidukya and Ananta. We only need to understand it to the degree that allows us to free ourselves from this jati, which is this sense of separation. That's all we need this for. So, coming back. Take out all the energy from all these systems and you're just left with stuff. Stuff that can be reconfigured to make up absolutely anything simply by providing the system with a bit of energy. Yeah? This was stuff earlier until I put energy into it, wasn't it? This came out of this bag. In the bag, did you see this? 
No, because in the bag there was no energy. So what I what energy did? So it would be wrong for me to say what I did. Yeah, what energy did was reconfigured the stuff that was in here to make this up. And now you look at this and you go, oh, that's Emily. That's Jill. Look at what happened to Jack. This is what has happened through the addition and the taking away of energy. Simply a reconfiguration. Now look back, look again at that one item that you saw in the room. Can you, can you interpret that in those terms? See, give yourself a task, a bit of a challenge this. See if you can... No, you know, I, I, I'm not suggesting that you need an electron microscope to look through and, you know, look at all the atomic bonds and, you know, see if you can break them up. I'm not saying you need to see it through your physical eyes. I'm asking you to visualize it or at least comprehend it through your psychic eye, your mental eye, through wisdom. See through wisdom, through your wisdom eye, whether you can read that one object as simply a configuration of stuff. Energy has been added to that, which has which manifests now in that in that shape, in that way. This is simply a manifestation. We talk about cause and effect. Yeah, we talk about cause and effect. This effect is simply a manifestation of causes. Now when we say uh, when we do animation, if you worked in a, if you've done any animation stuff like computer graphics animation and so on, <coughs> they'll talk about Oh, can you please add that effect, this effect and so on, right? Like, can you add a, a, a filter effect? Can you add a mosaic effect? Can you add a, you know, this effect, that effect? You know, whatever effects they talk about. Yeah? An effect is simply a manifestation. So the, you can't separate an effect from its causes. You see, this is an effect which cannot be separated from its causes. You can't take the causes away one by one and still keep the effect. What I mean by this is, the effect that you observe is the totality of all this. As they say, the sum is greater than, no sorry, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. This whole that I'm talking about, not H-O-L-E whole, the whole, sorry, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. This whole that I'm talking about is this effect which is not in its parts. See, this part does not give you the idea or the, the sense that it's, it's all of this, does it? This part doesn't either. None of these parts individually give you that sense. But once you put all the parts together, now the whole gives you something entirely different, entirely new, that was not there until you saw all those parts come together. So it's not just the sum of the parts. It's something else. It's something completely different. That is the manifestation. So that manifestation is something that does exist in the outside world. Manifestations exist. Now the object, whatever it is that you looked at, Okay, that you observe, that manifestation exists. There's, no, there's nothing wrong with that. What the, the problem here is, 
when you don't interpret that manifestation as simply a manifestation and you incline you are you are pulled to reading that interpreting that manifestation as something completely separate and an entirely separate entity or an individual on its in its own right why does that happen it happens because inside of here in your mind you feel this sense of separation and that sense of separation is always looking for support from the outside to as uh, to to reinforce that feeling to reinforce that feeling you're always looking for support from the outside world why because none of these parts really help you do that we've talked about rupa vedana sanya sankara vijnana yeah Rupa Vedana, Sanya, Sankara, Vijnana are not capable, they are not capable of giving you a sense of self. They are not capable of doing that. They are not, they are not capable of giving you a sense of separation because they are not separate. They are not separate on their own. See, in just the same way that these two Rupa, okay, they're not separate this is why whatever went into making this you could also make with this whatever went into making this or whatever you made with this can also be made with this because they're the same they're the same stuff so they in themselves don't have the ability to separate themselves do they from each other do you understand what i'm trying to explain to you here right this we used to make up jack which could also be used as the leg for jill so we could simply swap them but the moment i took off jack's leg and put it up here and then i took jill's leg and put it here now you tell me samnasa please put the right one back on because in your mind you have perceived them as being something that belongs to a particular entity that does not exist they are not characteristics of these things why do you think we can do heart transplants is it because the heart belongs to someone no we do lung transplants hmm? these transplants can be done because they don't belong to anyone in the right environment they will function the way they are supposed to function so heart doesn't belong to someone although you say please don't break my heart it's not anybody's heart it's just a heart see these things are simply like that everything in this universe is simply like that it is not it does not belong to anyone they are simply stuff stuff that manifests in a certain way because of energy that energy comes from multiple sources it could be heat energy could be light energy could be sound energy but most of all it's mind energy this mind energy is the creation of all of this so in you know i believe that we invented the world and then we went on to invent god as well because we couldn't understand how it was that we invented this world because when you came to this world everything was there wasn't it this is how <laughs> this is how it works when you were born to your mother right you came and opened your eyes wow who brought all this here before i came and then you ask someone and they said the same thing well my darling son when i came it was all it was already there oh really so maybe then grandfather invented the world let's go ask granddad 
granddad, what happened? When I came, this was all there. So you keep going back and asking people, who invented this? And no one has the answer. Because whenever they came into this world, it was there. Right? So now, therefore, you need to attribute the creation of this to someone else. Because someone else must have created it, because when I came here, it was all there. The truth is, that's not how it happened. At least the way we see it. It was the mind that created all this. Right? It was the mind that created all this. The problem is, if you, if you think that the mind that exists in this body, right? If you, if you choose to ignore the fact that the mind forever was arising and passing away, even before it started doing that in this body, right? if you choose to ignore that fact or to neglect that fact or to completely discard that fact, now you're stuck. And you'll have to go and say, well, it must have been a separate entity that created and invented this world. But, if you at least for a moment give that some consideration and some regard, and if you're at least willing to consider, actually, before this mind arose and passed away, has started doing that in this body, it must have done that in other, in other shapes and various forms as well. Now, you can begin to explain how, before I came into this world and opened these eyes, this world was invented as a place for me to come here in the first place. So, you know, we can, we can really understand all of this now through this understanding that we have, through, this, through the, the concepts that we have managed to grasp. Okay? So, the important lesson that I'm trying to share with you today is try and catch this sense of separation as it happens on the inside. Now, um, I, I said today I feel this is going to be a very practical lesson, right? So, I said look at something in the room, to observe something in the room and see if you can look at it as a configuration of, of stuff. Now, I want you to focus that on yourself. Bring that focus into yourself. Hmm? Bring that focus inwards. Look at it. Focus on a part of your body. Focus on all of this this package of muscle and bone, blood and veins and all that good stuff. Hmm? Focus on this package and see if you can interpret this simply as a configuration of stuff, the same stuff that goes into creating the package that's just sat next to you. Now you'll begin to, if you can, if you can begin to understand, if you can begin to appreciate what I'm, what I'm asking you to do here, folks, you will begin to see very little differences between you and the person sat next to you. It'll feel like you are all water from the same ocean. That's what it's going to feel like. It'll feel like you're all you're both air from the same atmosphere, from the same vast, you know, globe of air, ball of air, whatever. That's how you're going to begin to feel. That this is all just the same stuff. Just a different configuration. Just a different setup. Just a different structure. That's all it is. But not a separate entity. Not a separate individual that can be said, this is one, this is another, these are two completely different things. But you still feel that way. You still feel that way. Now what I'm asking you to do is, against a backdrop of that feeling, see if you, through wisdom you can actually see what's really going on. So bring that focus back in to this body of yours and see if you can read this, interpret this body as simply a construct 
a configuration. Now for a moment, think about the person sat next to you. Think about the person sat next to you and can you see them also as simply a configuration of stuff? The body I mean. Let's talk about the body for a second. Right? Can you see them as simply a configuration of stuff? So if that is a configuration of stuff, if you are a configuration of stuff, now tell me what's the difference between the two of you? Now what's the difference? What's the difference now? At least physically, talking about the body, you need to now be able to see that these are simply configurations of stuff. Why then, folks? Why then do we say, or do we feel, I'm, not, I'm sure you don't, but you know, people do, right? He's a black guy. I don't like him. See where all these problems come from? He's a black guy. He's a woman. Oh, she's a woman. I don't like her. Men, women, blacks, whites, Caucasians, Asians. Hmm? Look at all this, all these separations. How are we so different from each other? The only difference really is this perception that is on the inside. There is no real difference outside. I'll say that as soon as I've said this. Yes, these are two separate blocks, but not separate in that way. They're separate only in the fact that they are manifested as separate configurations. That's all it is. Like water from two glasses of water from the same tank. Two glasses of water, two bowls of water, two, two, two handfuls of water from the same ocean. They're the same stuff. Just energy that represents them, assembles them as different configurations. Now I want you to see the world in that way. I want you to look at the other... The, you don't have to literally look at them, but you know, through, through your wisdom eye, see if you can see the person next to you as someone like that. Or at least something like that, rather than saying someone like that. The person sat next to you. Aren't they simply a configuration of stuff? The physical body. So what does the mind do then? What's the mind's role here? The mind's role is to receive, register, recognize, respond and perceive configurations. That's it. Manifestations. That's it. Now this is a giant leap. Okay? So, as I said, you know, today I, I said I feel good about today. <laughs> I said I feel good about today because we are, we are actually making, uh, we are making a step forward in, in our discussions. The mind's purpose is to interpret, receive, register, recognize, respond and perceive configurations. Not separate entities, because that does not exist. If the mind simply minds its own business, the mind will simply interpret the world as 
configurations, structures of the same stuff. Like magic, when you know magic. We talked about this, yeah? If you are a magician and you know how to do the trick, you'll still see the magic through your eyes, but inside you won't read it as magic. You only see, read it as logic. If you can understand what I'm, what I'm trying to explain to you folks, you will now be able to see the person sat next to you as simply a configuration of stuff and now ask yourself the question, how different are you from the other person? Hmm? So, where, is, where are old people and where are young people? Where are men and where are women? Hmm? Where is black men and white men? Where is all this? This is just stuff. Stuff from the same source. Simply manifestation because of energy. Sir, you got a question? Oh yes, of course. Yeah, I mean... Hmm. Yeah, because you see, now... Names, if we use them simply for our convenience, because manifestations will need names, won't they? You can't call this and this the same thing, because different manifestations will serve different purposes. This manifestation will serve the a completely opposite purpose of this manifestation. Don't they? You do this to do something, you use this to do something completely the opposite of that. They are simply manifestations though. And therefore, you know, because they, they serve purposes, it's useful for us to have names. But the name should be simply that, a name. When we go beyond that and we use a name... To separate something, that's when we are overstepping the mark. But whether you give it a name or not, that separation has already happened inside. You know, when you see someone new, you, you, you'll ask, what's your name, sir? What's your name, madam? Who are you? Hmm? You'll, ask, you'll ask the name. Because now you have identified something separate and, you know, the naming happens afterwards. That comes after the fact. The separation happens first. Because if you can't separate two things from each other, now you don't need a name, do you? You don't need a name for two things you can't separate from each other, right? That's why, you know, this you'll say is simply white. But when you say, when I draw that, now you'll have a name for this and you'll have a name for this. Now those things, two things are separate. What is art after all? Art is simply separations. This is simply separation. You know, when you... When you look at a, a, a painting, a painting is, is simply a separation from everything else. You know, like anything else, really, a painting is simply a separation from everything else. You know, the, the contrast between two, two, the contrast between two is what you see as art. Okay, so so once you once you observe that, now you need to give it names. But so it's perfectly fine to use names. I, we should not stop calling each other by their name. We should, you know, this is a clock. This is a beetle leaf. This is, these, are, these are building blocks. These are, this is a dust and so on. We can use those names, but the name should simply be that, a name. A name is a name for a manifestation. A name is not uh, something to identify something as, as a separate entity. Because, why? Because 
there's no such thing. There's no such thing. Why do we name things that don't exist? If you have you ever had a pet camel? A pet camel? Hmm? What's the name of your pet camel? You don't give names to things that don't doesn't exist, right? You don't give things names to things that don't exist. If you never had a sister, you don't have a name for her. If you never had a brother, you don't have a name for her. If you never had a daughter, you don't have a name for her. Right? So that separation happens first and then we use names. So, thank you for the question. What we need to now be able to do, folks, is... Uh, so, last week I said, you know, your homework was to see if you can, you know, you live through some of those examples and ask yourself, why does yesterday's problem hurt me today? Right? Hopefully you've done a few of those things. Right? What I'm asking you to do now... For this week's homework, see if you can observe the world around you as simply configurations of the same stuff. You'll feel so cool and relaxed if you can begin to see the world as configurations of the same stuff. This sense of separation is fed. You know, like you're what you eat, we talked about earlier. right? This sense of separation is fed by your perception of things as being separate. I repeat, manifestations are there. Okay, so gents, please don't walk into the ladies, because that is separate. Right? Those are manifestations. And ladies don't walk into the gents. They are, many, they are separate manifestations. Okay, so we, those are for convention. And we adhere to convention. Right? We, we, we accept convention, that's perfectly fine. Like magic, we see magic. I'm asking you to see magic, but don't believe in magic. Because we don't believe in magic. There's only logic. But to the physical eye, there's all sorts of magic out there. That magic we don't need to stop seeing, we just need to stop believing in magic. To do that, you need to understand how magic happens. In the same way, what I'm asking you to do is, now think about the person sat next to you. Think of the Swami Nuhansi sat here. Right? Who do you think I am? Huh? Who do you think I am? Isn't this just configuration of stuff, the same stuff that makes you? The same stuff that makes this? The same stuff that makes all of this? Are we all so different? Or aren't we all just the same stuff? We are all just made of the same stuff. Energy is what manifests this form to that form. That is why they are called rupa or form. They are formed through the application of energy. That is what rupa is. Right? When you, when you provide it with energy, they are formed. They are formed and they, they maintain that form for as long as energy is there. Energy is supplied. That's all it is. That's why the moment you take away energy, that form disfigures. It morphs into something else. That's all it is. You know, you, you, you heat up something. What happens? You provide it with energy. And now the structure changes. These are structural changes. You know, in the Kayanupasana, the Buddha's instruction for contemplation, he talks about the dead body. Yeah? He talks about what happens to a dead body, a carcass, as it decomposes. Right? He says in the first day, the second day, in the third day, or the fourth day, and so on. What he's saying is, look at what happens to stuff. 
This is just stuff. It was stuff, it is stuff, and it will always be stuff. All that's happening is, energy is no longer being provided. There's no mind energy going into this. And now see, when mind energy no longer feeds this, when mind energy is no longer supplied to this, look at what the elements, heat, water, right, uh, and various other elements can do to this stuff. Observe that and contemplate that it's the same stuff that makes this up. That is the contemplation that the Buddha speaks of. It is not a case of looking at that and going, this body is so ugly, this body is so dirty, it's just full of pus and all the ugly and dirty stuff. When did the body become dirty? This is not dirt. This is just stuff. The moment you say that this is dirt, now you've already separated. There's the good stuff and there's the dirty stuff. See, again separated. That's why I said the other day, you know, you can't go to God. To go to God, you have to believe in Buddhist principles. Why? Because the moment you think that God is one and I am one, now we are separate again. So how can you go to God? If you want to be united with God, the way to do that is to recognize that it's all the same stuff, really. Now you're all in one. You're all together. You're all in the same thing. You're all made up of the same thing. It's simply the mind that perceives that things are separate. So it's a wonderful comparison that the Buddha gives to look at a dead body because a decomposing body, you know, it doesn't go here and there. So that convenience you have, so you can sit down, look at that. That is what the monks used to do back in the day. They would go into a cemetery, look at a dead body, and they would contemplate on that. How this is just stuff. This is also just stuff. That's it. Because stuff, the moment you take out energy, this is what happens to it. That is what the Buddha wanted us to contemplate on. An oozing body. That is what taking out energy does to it. A festering body. That is what taking out energy does to it. A bloated body. That's what taking out energy does to it. Or adding other forms of energy. You know, it is the mind energy that keeps us all in tip-top condition. Take out mind energy. Because that mind... Remember we talked about the resultant forces? Yeah? This is that. This is just resultant. Is what you see. The mind energy is being acted on this body. Upon this body and now there's the heat energy... There's the light energy, there's the sound energy, there's gravitational energy, right? There's all sorts of energy working on this body and in addition to that, there's mind energy. The reason that you're not decomposing as we speak is because there's mind energy that's doing something. Take out mind energy, now that energy is out. Now the resultant forces bring out a different manifestation. That is the contemplation that we need to do. That contemplation will help you to elevate your level of wisdom. Whereas if you look at a dead body and go, yuck, that will only aggravate you. That will only make you feel you know, distressed. It will make you feel agitated. And it will make you feel repulsive towards the world. Repulsion is not a fact of equanimity. It is not a state of equanimity. It is a state of disgust. This is also, I don't want to be with this. I don't want to live with this. And then I know some people who are inclined to go and commit suicide because they feel that this is just yuck. This is just dirt. This is just repulsive stuff. 
how ugly, how dirty, how, how yucky all this is. I want to free myself from this. And then they go jump off a cliff or something. Or jump in front of a train. What's the point? The mind is born again. And again it takes shape into something like this. And it's back to square one. Meaningless. Whereas, if you contemplate it on stuff is just stuff is just stuff is just stuff. Right now, the mind doesn't separate stuff from each other. It just realizes it's all simply a manifestation. At that point, folks, the mind doesn't grasp onto separate stuff because it's all just the same. Right? You are able to pick. If I ask you to come and pick the flower for your choosing, right? pick a flower. Right? You can do that sitting there. Right? If I ask you to come and pick one, you, you may have one of your choosing. You might, okay, I'm going to take the purple one. I'm going to take the, the, the violet one and so on. Because here, you have separated them, and there is one that stands out among the rest. That separation is what gives you a feeling of satisfaction. You believe that one of these is, be- is more beautiful, more good-looking than the other, more attractive than the other. Because that, that is... Remember we talked about the two-story building? Yeah? The first or the ground floor is where you sense this feeling of separation inside of you. Right now I am separate and therefore now the whole world is separate from each other. You know, there are separations in this world. Separation is is a phenomenon of this world. Through that lens you look outside. Now you need something to reinforce that. You need, you're you're looking for further evidence. Because remember, this is a lie. (laughs) Right, so to maintain a lie, you have to keep on fueling that fire. Yeah, that's, that's how lies can live, right? For a lie to live, you have to keep on fueling that. So, you know, as I say, you know, to, to, to safeguard one lie, you have to say how many more? A hundred more. Right? That, is the, that is the nature of it. So the moment you begin to believe in a lie, now you need to be kept convinced. So therefore, you open your eyes, looking for evidence that this world is separate. You open your ears, looking for evidence that this world is separate. You've already decided that the world is separate. So now you're looking for evidence. This is a, a very scientifically inaccurate interpretation of the world. You've already made your mind up. This is not a hypothesis that you're trying to, to, to check. You've already made your mind up that the world is separate and therefore now you're looking at the world through that lens. These are lenses. And these are filtered lenses. They'll see the world, they'll perceive the world as separate ent- entities. So therefore you look at this and you see, okay, so there's a purple flower, there's a yellow flower, there's a red flower, there's a green flower. These are manifestations. These manifestations will convince you, oh yes, the world is separate. What I thought was right from the start. And that feeling gives you a sense of satisfaction because you are, you are looking for evidence that you were right. Yeah? So that was a vexation and now you are relieved of that vexation. Oh, thank God. This world is separate. That is the ground floor. And then you go to the top floor. Now, the moment you see things as separate things, now there's always going to be one that looks better than the other. You can't stop yourself from doing that, folks. Now, this is a very subtle point. I'm going to try and express this and explain this to you in the best I can with, the, with my limited vocabulary. So... Try and see if you can understand what I'm trying to explain to you here. Whenever there are two things in this world, and you see them as separate. Okay, so I'll I'll start off with this. Between these two things, for a moment I want you to imagine that these are identical. Right Now, you won't be able to say which one's better than the other. 
Okay? But the moment you see two, two things are separate, you can't stop yourself from thinking that one is better than the other. It's natural. You can't stop yourself from doing that. You always, the moment you see separation, one will look better, one will smell better, one will taste better, one will feel better than the other. You can't stop yourself from doing that. Why? Remember, separation in itself was an effort to... Seeing these two things as separate things was an effort to, to, to achieve separation in this world. You are already on that track of separation. You are already geared up to separate. You are already enthused and encouraged and driven to separate. So the moment you have separated these two, why stop there? Why stop there? When you can go further? Huh? When you can eat the whole thing, why stop there? So the moment you've seen these two things as separate, you can go a step further. One looks better than the other. Beauty. Beauty is a creation of the mind because it wants to separate. See? Because the mind is in vexation, constantly trying to evidence the fact that this is true, this is true, this is true, this is true. It doesn't want to believe the truth because it has not heard the truth. It, is not, it has never, never comprehended the truth. So it lives in a lie. Living in a lie, it has to keep feeding evidence to make it feel, itself feel good. Yes, I, I, you know, this is the truth, this is the truth. Separation is truth. It's true. So it keeps on trying to separate that. And immediately, uh, the, the moment it sees these two things as separate things, now the next thing is, you can't stop yourself from seeing that one is more pretty, one is more beautiful, one is better looking than the other. That happens so naturally. You can't stop yourself. So what happens now? The moment you are latched on to one and not the other, now fear and grief come as part of the package. Don't they? Comes part of the package. Because if you think this is better looking than this, now you don't like to see this. You like to see this instead. I can prove this point further. Between blindness and seeing something ugly, what would you choose? Of course, you'll see something ugly. Because when you're looking at something ugly, now you're looking at something beautiful really. If and when the alternative is blindness. If and when the alternative is blindness, anything and everything in this world is beautiful. Hmm? That's a quote from me. <laughs> when the alternative is blindness, yeah, anything and everything in this world is beautiful. Because any sight will please the mind. If you were, imagine you went blind, temporarily at least, Right? And then advancements in, t in science and technology and medicine, they'll come and tell you, well, there's this procedure that we can do, but there's a catch. Okay? We can give you your sight back, but the catch is, all those things that you thought were ugly in this world, right, before you went blind, those are the only things you'll be able to see if we give your sight back. What do you say? What do you think? Oh yes, please, do you even need to ask me? <laughs> yes or no? Yes. Because you see, sight itself is a faculty of separation. Sight itself allows you to separate. 
it's once you've achieved that you don't stop there and go the next mile which is to see which ones are better looking than others it's a privilege that you have because you have the ability of sight you're able to listen to lovely music versus disharmonious or just you know unpleasant music this is a this is a privilege that you have afforded yourself because you already have the the faculty of hearing without the faculty of hearing you can't go that far so once you have these faculties of sight sound smell taste and touch now why stop there when you can go a step further and say these things are pleasurable these things are ugly because you see you see folks oh my god thank you thank you thank you <laughs> once you start to see the world as beautiful and ugly there is no limit to how much you can separate i'll explain first you have to see these two things as separate okay pick one in your own minds pick one all pick one okay pick one as the better looking one the one you think is beautiful okay some of you will go oh don't do that others will go oh don't do that yeah okay Now let's imagine you all pick this one. Let's imagine for a second you all pick this one. It doesn't stop there. Why? Ah. It doesn't stop there. Now pick one. Some of you will go, "Oh, don't do that." Some of you will go, "Oh no, don't do that." Okay? So let's say you pick this one. Hmm? doesn't stop there doesn't stop there some of you are going to go oh don't do that as go don't do that see what you needed to do first was open your eyes and identify that there are separable things in this world then came along this cons- this idea of ugly and beautiful the moment you introduce that fallacy into this phenomenon separation is limitless now there are an infinite number of colors in this world there are an infinite number of tones in this world there are an infinite number of tastes in this world an infinite number of sensations in this world each and every one of them presenting you with the opportunity to keep on doing what separate what a wonderful world we've created for ourselves say eh? for our selves see see how far we've come see what we've gotten ourselves into that's why these faculties started it all off the moment you were born with eyes and ears immediately it was proven to you that this world is separable why eyes you perceive something different to the ear means they are separate things i'm talking about much further down the line you know when you, the moment you say rupa and vedana immediately the world is separate now i'm talking about something more coarse something much further down the line right but 
you know, it didn't stop at that is what I'm saying. The reason you are able to now distinguish ugly things and beautiful things is because then it gives you a world, a plethora of separation. Now you are spoiled for choice, aren't you? There's no limit to it, there's no end to it. Now you can just keep on separating. Have you ever seen, all of you, have you seen the most beautiful sight in your life? Hmm? Have you all seen the most beautiful sight in your life? And you thought, and you thought, ah, that's it, that's it, I've seen the most beautiful sight in my life, I don't need to see anything else. Ever had that day? No. When does that day come? Never. Because you can always live hopeful that the next thing you're going to see is prettier, is more beautiful than the one you saw last. So, this feeling of beauty, this feeling of ugly, you know, this is an essential component of your need for this, for the mind's need to separate. Because that separation and, uh, and, and nothing else gives this mind such satisfaction. Because the mind believes that it is being separate. Now, this is where this word being comes in as well. This, this, this sense of being separate in itself is so pleasurable, so essenceful. But the truth is, as I said, I'm trying to explain to this concept of anatta, there is no such thing that is separable in this world. It's all the same stuff. Once you recognize that it's all the same stuff, this or this or this or anything, once you recognize it's all the same stuff and all you, re- re- all you see are manifestations, you immediately destroy the ground floor. Right? You immediately dismantle the ground floor. Once the ground floor is gone, now there is no room any further to ask the question, which one is better looking, which one is prettier, which one is more beautiful. That question is invalid. Because if you don't see separation, how can you say one is better looking than the other? Because to say, this, to say the line, one and the other, you immediately, you know, you've, you, you can only say that after you've already separated. Yeah? So that's why, as I said earlier, when the alternative is blindness, Anything and everything in this world is, is beautiful. Because to a blind man, they are unable to separate. They are unable to separate using this faculty. But he can hear. So his sense of sound, his sense of hearing, will help him to separate. But why do it with just the ear when the eye can help also? So that's why I say, you know, if, if you were taken to the doctor and they, you know, they did an operation on you and they said, you know, sorry, but we can give you a sight back, but the only thing you can see, the only things that you can see will be the things that you thought were ugly before you went blind. Everyone will put their hand up and go, oh yeah, I'll take that one, please. Two of that, please. <laughs> because even if it's, you know, because those things that were ugly, can now be put back into the bag, can't they? Yeah. So let's let's say, for instance, I'm going to I'm going to separate the ugly things from the pretty things in this world. Okay. So I'm going to say this is ugly. White is ugly. Orange is pretty. Right. More white on the ugly side. More orange, pretty side. Right. I've got more more white here. More white, ugly side. Uh, there's an orange here. Right? That's into the pretty side. Right? Now I go blind. Okay, now I'm blind. 
I'm blind and uh, oh no, wait, there's more. Right. Uh, so we have whites on the ugly side and orange on the pretty side, right? Black. Put on the ugly side. Let's put it on the ugly side. Right. Black on the ugly side. Blue on the on the pretty side. Right. There's another blue here. Pretty side. Another blue here. Pretty side. Another black on the ugly side. Okay. So I don't know whether you can see what I'm doing here. You can't. Good. So I have black and white. Okay, on the pretty side, I have orange and blue on the ugly side. Okay? Now I'm going to go blind. The doctor comes and says, well, we are really sorry, Bhante. We can fix your blindness, but unfortunately, from the moment you open your eyes, you can only see what's on... Which side is it? Which one's the ugly? Black and white. Black and white, thank you. So from now on, once you regain your sight, you can only see this stuff. You can never see that stuff again. It's just out of your visible spectrum. Is that okay? Please. So, they give me my sight back. I open my eyes. Wow. There are pretty ones and ugly ones in this world. <laughs> yes or no? Yes. See, there are pretty ones and there are ugly things in this world. Previously, it was all ugly. But now, I can separate again and therefore, there's always going to be pretties and uglies. See how far we go. At any opportunity to snatch a separation, at any opportunity to score a separation, the mind will always be there, right at the front. So, your homework. See if you can. Look, observe the world around you. Start with yourself. This is the easiest place to start. Place to start, right? Start with yourself. Bring your attention to yourself and see if you can interpret yourself as just a bundle of stuff. Simply a configuration of stuff. Get into the habit of seeing if you can do that. And then observe a few people around you, you know, like when you say you go for arms in the afternoon, right? you, there'll be someone walking in front of you, you know, if you keep, you know, foot to foot, right? observe and see, can I see that simply just as a bundle of stuff, as you have your afternoon meal, okay, today, I don't know what you're going to have today, maybe there'll be rice and a few curries, okay, see if you can see it just as a bundle of stuff, just a different configuration, so the rice is one configuration, the dal curry is going to be one configuration, the papadams are going to be one configuration. It's just configurations of the same stuff. Now, it doesn't mean, well, if it's all the same stuff, I'll just have the rice. No, 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 no. Because manifestations are important, because they serve a different purpose. Like I said, the dust serves a different purpose to the pen. Yeah, Water serves a different purpose to uh, ice cream. Different purposes. For different purposes, we use different things and manifestations are enough to do that. A paracetamol will do a very different job to... I don't know, give me another name. Antihistamines. There you go. Right? They'll do a very different job. So, because they are different configurations, different manifestations, they have a different chemical structure. Those chemical structures, once ingested, can go and combine and influence other chemical structures and change chemical balances and make you feel better physically. Or feel worse when you take some stuff. Yeah? So, 
these manifestations, they're really there. What's not there are entirely separate entities that are, you know, completely alien from one another. That's not there. It's all just the same stuff from the same source. Energy is what manifests themselves in the structures and in the configurations that you see themselves. You see them, sorry. Your eyes use them simply to do that, to see the manifestations. Use your ears to perceive those manifestations. Use your tongue to perceive manifestation. I mean, the, you know, the tongue is a gift because for as long as you're alive and, 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 and you know, alive and kicking, if your, your tongue will help you to identify something that's not good for you. And that's why, you know, they make these pills bitter, right? So that a young child put it in, sticks in its mouth and if it's bitter, it spits it out, right? So the body is, is, is designed to take in sugary things because it's, it's, it's a source of energy. So by design, it's like that. Don't ask me who designed it. It's not who designed it. It's how the whole thing happened, right? That's the, way, the nature of the mind. So it has an, it has an affinity for, for sweet things. Carbohydrates, you know, this is the fuel that keeps us going. This is the currency of the human body, of energy. You know, this, is all, this is all how it works. So, but, so these manifestations are there. You can choose to sit on a chair. You can choose to sit on a mat. Those manifestations are there. But they're simply there. It's just the same stuff. But we fail to see the world in that way because of our feeling of separation inside. And that is the jati. That is the jati that I want you to see. Okay? When this jati happens, you project a separation onto everything else. Remember that separation does not exist outside. It's simply in the mind. This is what we call jati dhamma. Jati dhamma. This separation of things on the outside that we feel on the inside. So what happens first? Jati happens first. Where you feel you are a separate individual and identity. Okay? And the moment that happens, you are, you now project because you are looking for evidence to prove that this is right. Okay? You, you, you begin to see birds as birds, trees as trees, men as men, women as women, separate, alien to each other, never able to mix Right? All separate things fixed in their own nature. This is Jati Dhamma. This is the mind looking, you know, it's like, you know, someone who's committed a crime and looking for evidence to, as an alibi. Okay? So the mind is looking for evidence to prove to itself that, no, 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 separation exists, separation exists, because you know, here comes a Rupa. Separation doesn't exist. Rupa says, no, 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 separation exists. Let me show you. And the mind goes to work on the Rupa. Rupa doesn't give you separation. Abhisankara gives you separation. Abhisankara is the mind going into this insanity mode, where it goes into the state of vexation. Right? And imagine you were given these two things and asked to separate them. I, I mean, I don't mean you know one piece on one side, one piece on the other side, but separate them because of their characteristics. They're not characteristically separate. They're the same. They're identical. Now, if you are still asked to do it, and I held a gun to your head and said, I'll give you 10 seconds, separate them based on their characteristics, or I'm going to shoot. Now, you see, at the 8th second, on the ninth second, you're going to go into a deep state of vexation, because it's either separate or die trying. <laughs> yeah? So, it's either separate or die trying. So, you're going to try and separate. And because you're going into this state of intense vexation, Abhisankara kicks in which is this mode of insanity. The mind goes insane and what was not there before begins to appear. 
and you begin to see that this is somehow separate from the other. I can't show this, them to you that how, how this is separate to the other because it's not something that I can show. It's not something that exists on the outside. It's only a feeling. Much like when I took this off Jill's foot and put it onto Jack's foot and you said, no, 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 Swami, no, that's, the wrong, that's the wrong person. This belongs to Jill, not to Jack. I can't show that. Because it's not something that manifests on the outside. It's simply a perception that you have. Because it's only the mind that can perceive things that really don't exist. Only a mind can be fooled. Nothing else and no one else. Does that all make sense? Hopefully. Do go back and listen to this talk once or twice if you have the time. Because we did go into a bit of depth. Right? Maybe a bit of out of the comfort zone for, for quite a few of you. But that's okay because as I said, you know, just, just keep on. Keep on with it. Right? Keep, keep coming and keep regularly listening to these talks. And eventually all this will start to make sense. I will make sure that you, know, you all understand this. Like for that, all I need to do is just keep on saying it, use different examples, different metaphors, similes and so on until you get it. And the discussions in the afternoon, they're most helpful. I'm sure they are. And I'm, I'm so pleased to hear from our Swami Nuances that the questions you ask are very practical ones. Nothing has impressed me more than that. Your questions are all practical ones. How do I apply this knowledge to solve this kind of problem? When I'm, have, when I'm at work and my colleagues are not getting on with me, or my mother doesn't listen to me, my father doesn't listen to me, my, my brothers are having problems with me, how do I solve that, those kind of problems? Like practical stuff. That's the most important stuff. In these sermons, I'll talk to you about you know, some of the abstract stuff. But all of this is, non, is, is no more useful to you if you don't actually apply them into practical life. But of course you understand that in this sermon I can't take all your practical problems and solve them one by one, one at a time, right? Which is why you have this fantastic opportunity to sit down with our Swaminas and they're really devoted to that. They really want to help you and they're always trying to work out how I can, ex how could we explain this better. You wouldn't believe this folks, every Monday and Tuesday from 6 o'clock in the morning to 11 o'clock in the, in the afternoon, they come here and they sit down and they discuss among themselves, how can we better present the Dhamma? How can we address these problems so that our, our devotees will be able to better understand these concepts? Every Monday, Tuesday, they do that because of commitment and their devotion to you. So all we ask of you is to make use of this opportunity and to free yourselves. There's only one path. And that path is the path the Buddha laid out for us. That is a noble path. So, keep on at it. I promise you, you will get it just as much as I did, just as just the same way that I did. Do your merits, because your merits will help you all along the way. right? But whenever you do your merits, always have in your mind the focus. What is that focus? Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa. That is your pledge to Nibbana. Right, so... Homework is look at yourself, see if you can see yourself as a bundle of stuff. Look at the person sat next to you, the people you will get to spend time with, the food you eat. You will see separation. You will, because separation manifests itself, that will be obvious to the naked eye. That's perfectly fine. But see if you can interpret it as simply configurations of the same stuff. When we are in the Valley Malu, sometimes you know, they play bands and music. And in the uh, neighboring village, right? So that that doesn't bother us, you know. We don't go and complain and say, oh, "How dare you play music? Don't you know we have a monastery here and our Swami Nuns design meditation?" Because if we did that, what are we what are we doing? Separating, because that is music and this is silence. 
So music is better than silence or silence is better than music? You know, then we are no better than them. To them, music is better than silence. If we were to say silence is better than music, then we are no better than them. Right? So on some days they have gigs going on, they play music, loud music sometimes. Right? And uh, all we do is we, we reflect on that. Is that really separate to silence? Is one sound really separate to another sound? Or is it just the same stuff? Just energy in different forms. That we use as a karmasthana. See, either way, you can't defeat me then. Because I'm always on the game. But the moment I believe that one is better than the other, and I see separation, now you can hurt me. Like Guru Hamdur's lesson to me last week I shared with you. Remember, we create the weapons for our enemies. Yeah. So if we stood here in the Valley Malwa saying, Oh, why are they playing that music? We can't even meditate here. Now who created the weapon? We create our own weapons. Or we create the weapons for our enemies to hurt us. Whereas if I use that as a blessing, as an opportunity, and ask myself, hang on, I, I perceive separation, but is it simply a manifestation I perceive, or do I actually sense a separation? Now that is a karma stand. That's like someone's doing a sermon for me. Reminding me, oh, go on, practice, practice, practice. See? So that way, we can't be defeated. True students of the Buddha, they can't be defeated. There's no place, no world, no time in this world that can defeat them. Because their battle is one within, not without. It's a battle within. And when you have a battle within, you can't defeat them. Because they are already trying to defeat themselves. How can you defeat them? If I'm trying to hit myself, when you come and try and hit me as well, you're helping me. <laughs> Aren't you? So I'm trying to defeat myself. And you're giving me support to that, for that. So you are my friend now. I don't have enemies anymore. You are all my friends. If I am trying to fight the battle between you know, praise and, and, and defame, and you come and give me either one of these, you are not my enemy. You are my friend. Because I am analyzing within myself, how do I face these two? Hmm? When I am when I'm trying to perceive loss and gain, uh, just the same stuff, you give me loss, you give me gain. So what? You are simply my friend, not my enemy. But if I want one and not the other, now I have friends and I have enemies. I don't want to do that. Right. Okay. I'll conclude there. Leave enough time for the Buddha Puja. <coughs> there were a few questions that were put forward. I'll pick them up again next week as I have been promising over the last few weeks. But hopefully some of the answers to those questions came out of today's sermon. <clears throat> okay, let's take a moment to transfer the maids we have acquired. First of all, let's transfer the maids that we have acquired by making offerings to the infinite virtues of the noble triple gem, chanting Pirit, listening to the Dhamma, engaging in various meritorious deeds today, by reminding ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching, and with immense gratitude let us transfer these merits to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, upasakas and upasikas, who since time immemorial have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha, and passed it down through the generations of the noble lineage in the form of the Tripitaka, which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us transfer the merits we have acquired to all members of the Mahasangha present throughout the world, 
including the chief prelates of all of the chapters who have dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that among them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. Let us transfer these merits to Guru Swami Nuhanse, as well as all the monks resident at this monastery, as well as the Anagarikas and Anagarikas attached to the monastery. Let us take a moment to transfer merits and express our gratitude to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be that by transliterating these sermons, sharing them out with others or inviting others to join them, and may to the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plane, redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plane. May they, may by the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. There is also transmits we have acquired to our devotees, friends of the monastery, for the sake of merits who who continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who have contributed to the construction of the monastery, to those who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, roads and medicines, as well as those who have passed on their know-how and continue to extend their well wishes. May to the power of these merits they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer maze to our mothers, fathers, husbands, wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews and nieces, our elders, friends and acquaintances, employees and employees, and to all those who have helped, supported and assisted us along the way. By the power of these merits, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transmit to the devas, brahmanas, spirits and demons, primarily the Sakadeva, as well as all the numerous gods and deities who are committed to protect and fulfill the Sambuddha Sasana. Let us transmit to our guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. And may, through the power of these merits, they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer merits to our ancestors who have predeceased us, and to all those who have been families, friends and acquaintances in this infinitely long journey in Sansara, and to those who have supported, assisted and helped us along the way. Let us also transfer merits to the members of the armed forces, as well as the police force who have sacrificed their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nation, and may all those who lost their lives in the war be their friend or foe, rejoice in the merits that we have acquired today. Let us transfer merits to those who lost their lives, lives in the natural calamities such as the tsunamis, earthquakes, landslides, pandemics, reminding ourselves that among them will be those who have been friends and family to us in this long journey in Sansara. Let us take a moment to transfer our merits to them. May through the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sad, sad, sad. And let us all resolve that may, through the power and blessings of all the mates we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of arahants on this blessed land. And finally, may, through the power of all the mates we have acquired throughout the day, you and I and everyone who's helped make this program a success, become an arahat an arahat in this life itself and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha himself. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. May the blessings of the Noble Tripa Gem be with you all. <coughs> And now the Mahasangha will transfer their blessings to you. Raga <clears> Ginnam <throat>
ಸಾಧು 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 